that song that we, that second last song we just sang, it really struck me. That day when we appear in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be very different. I never thought of it actually. Minor keys, well, may become major keys. Because everything sad will disappear. What's it going to be like? But the bigger question is, are you ready? Not often we start with a gospel message right at the start, but maybe we should do more. Are you ready for when Jesus Christ appears? He could come later today. Are you ready? Because on that day it will be too late. That's when the great sifting will take place. You'll either be with him in paradise, and this is no fairy story, this is reality, or you will be under eternal judgment. Are you ready for that? There is still time. Hear his word today. You're going to hear again how Jesus Christ can be your provision today. Come to Jesus Christ and be saved if you're not one of his. I plead with you today. Be saved. Well, with that intro, let's turn to God's Word. Luke chapter 9, and we carry on in our studies of this very exciting book as we see the life of Jesus Christ unfolding before us and as He teaches us about how we are to live before Him. So Luke chapter 9, and we are in verses 10 to 17. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. You remember last week Jesus sent out the twelve apostles and he told them to go out and to preach the message that he had given to them and to perform miracles if God allowed that to happen. To heal the sick, to raise the dead. Think about that one. And do it all in his name. And so today we follow up from there. What happened? Verse 10. And when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done, taking taking them with him. He withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. Now, there's a lot that happens between those two sentences. But the crowds were aware of this and followed Jesus. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending and the twelve came and said to Jesus, Send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, You give them something to eat. I can imagine their eyebrows. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. So that's not women and children. And they would have been there too. And Jesus said to his disciples, Have the people sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so. And had them all sit down. And then Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. 
and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up and twelve baskets were filled. Have you ever found yourself in an impossible situation? Teenagers? You know, just before exam time? How many subjects? How much information? It's all just too much. What about work-wise? Things are caving in on you. They're cutting jobs left, right and centre. And you think, how am I going to manage? Because your name has appeared on that list. Or maybe a family member. You see the family caving in around you. Divorces happening. Kids not walking with the Lord. This is impossible. Or financially. Maybe you just don't know how you're going to pay your accounts. And then the church comes and says you need to give to the Lord too. And you know that's true. How am I going to do this? Or maybe you're going through an identity crisis. You know, it happens, they say. Who am I? I've been living my whole life, working. For what? And what now? I've got how many more years in front of me? That's when people lose hope, you see. It's an impossible situation. You might be there right now. And if you're a Christian, you say to yourself, I know all the stuff about Christianity is true. I know it's true. But how does it fit into my real life? You see, sometimes it's hard to make that connection between our spiritual lives and the everyday physical day-to-day lives that we live. How do we join the dots? You see, there's a disconnect there. I know things, but I can't seem to apply them in my life. It doesn't seem real. Jesus was teaching in this very passage that we're going to look at this morning, he was trying to show his apostles that there is a connectedness. There's a connectedness between what you believe spiritually and the physical world and what God can do in both. They connect it. He is indeed Lord of both spheres. You see, the apostles found themselves in exactly such a situation. They'd come off this spiritual high situation and now they have to come and report back to the Lord. And the Lord is going to teach them about realities as well and that He is God of reality. So let's see how He does that. Now a little bit of background before we get to the text and you need to understand this as well. This passage about the five loaves and two fish appears in all four Gospels. And what do you already know? When things appear in all four places or three of the Gospels, what must we do? Pay attention. It's really, really important. You see, this event here is going to be the climax of Jesus' miraculous works. After this, we're going to find that he has less miracles that happen. And Jesus is going to start concentrating a lot more on teaching the truth to his disciples, preparing them for his death to come, preparing them for their ministry after he is no longer physically with them. He's going to start preparing them. You see, there's not much time left. Remember, Jesus only had a certain amount of time, only a few small years, short years that he had on this earth. And he's coming to the end of that time, whether we believe it or not. I know we're only in chapter 9. 
But the rest of it, time-wise, really is shock. And so Jesus is preparing his apostles. The second thing you need to understand before we hit this passage, and that is the timing of it. If you go and read in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 4, and you need to see all four Gospels, and if you've got five fingers in your hand, and most of you should accept Keith, alright, you, you put five fingers in the text. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. The references are up there for you. And if you want to kind of flick back and forth, that's up to you. But they're there. And I'll be referring to all four. And then we're going to be looking at Psalm 37 as well, just to put you in the Old Testament. Alright? So, the timing of this, says John, was just before the Passover. Now, it didn't just happen then. There's a reason for it. It happens just before the Passover. Because Jesus is going to show his apostles and these people, whether they understood it or not, that he is the provision for all mankind. And so it's not an accident that it happens just before Passover. What happened at Passover back in Exodus? Chapter 12. The nation was caught up under Pharaoh. They were slaves in Egypt. And God made a way for them to get out. God made a way. He provided a means of grace for them as we spoke about this morning. And it was by means of blood. And they had to put themselves under the protection of this blood as the angel of death came over, the symbol of God's judgment. And the blood on the doorposts was a symbol of the freedom that could be found and the protection that could be found in God. And those who were obedient were taken out of the nation. And so they had to be ready for this journey with the Lord, the Passover. Jesus is going to show them that He is still the provision for all people. Well, now we can get to our passage, verse 10. So these apostles, they've been sent out by the Lord. They've, come, they've gone out into the district. Remember, He sent them to their own people, the Jewish people, and so that they'd have a familiar surrounding to work in. And they come back, and I can tell you it wouldn't have been a report back like uh, we sometimes have board report backs, alright? Very boring things. Yeah, well, Lord, we did this, we did that, and then point four, point five, point zero, we did this. No, no, it would have been a very different report back. Lord, you know what happened. We believed what you said. We need to tell you about these miracles, Lord. We need to tell you about people who were raised from the dead, Lord. And you know, Lord, not everyone believed the message, but some did. And it was great to see them coming into the kingdom, Lord. That would have been the type of report they would give. Why? Jesus had sent them out to learn that this faith that he was teaching them was real. And he would have made these things possible for them. Why? Because they were the future church. They were the ones who were to come and to carry on the faith when Jesus was no longer with them. That is why he came, to teach them as well. And so they reported back, these sent out ones, the apostoloi, the apostles came back excited on a spiritual high about all these amazing things had it happened. And guess what? And this would have been very important for these men. They didn't starve. They had all their meals catered for. They were looked after. God looked after them in, total, in totality. And so they come back to Jesus. Jesus, it worked. And if they were in Wanganui, they say, Jesus, you the bomb. It worked. Jesus tests 
their true understanding in this passage. Yes, they've come back from a spiritual high, but when I put a big problem in front of you, are you still going to be so spiritually high, my friends? You need to understand the reality of who I am. And remember, that is the theme of the book of Luke. Who is Jesus Christ? He's teaching his apostles who he is. So there was a second reason. It wasn't just for the report back that they came together in verse 10, but also, says Matthew, they got together to take rest. To take some rest. Yes, because they'd been involved in ministry. And if any of you have been involved in ministry, and I know quite a few of you are, whenever you work with people and you're giving out a lot, you get exhausted. And that's why Jesus so often had to pray and to re-energize. And so Jesus takes them and he says, we are going apart. Been a busy time of ministry, we need to get away. Something else had happened. Jesus had just received news of John the Baptist's death. And it says that he drew apart. He needed to find some time because he loved John. You see the heart of our Savior? And so, They get apart, they get into a boat, and they withdraw, says Scripture, to a desolate place near to the city of Bethsaida. A place where there weren't many people yet. But you see the crowds. Remember the crowds? They loved him now. Remember the previous crowds? They loved him. They saw these things that had happened. And so the crowds can see where the boat's heading, and the crowds tootle off by land, from Capernaum all the way around to Bethsaida. And when the boat approaches and they think they're coming to their retreat, guess what? There are massive crowds waiting for Jesus. And I can just imagine these apostles. Come on! You see, Jesus didn't say to them, come on, give us a break, you people. But rather, says Mark chapter 6, verse 34, one of the parallel passages, Jesus sees the crowds and look at his heart. He had compassion on them. Now, he was deadly tired, but Jesus sees this crowd and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus could see their hearts. These people need the kingdom. They need to be saved. And yes, I'm tired, but I will carry on. And I will teach them. And I will heal them. And that's exactly what happened. And so what was a retreat turns into another long work day. And so we find verse 12, this impossible situation. You see, the day had grown late already. All this healing and teaching had taken time. And so they're in this desolate place. The disciples are hungry. The people must have been hungry. And then we have this little aside, if you read all four Gospels, John chapter 6. Jesus pulls Philip aside. Now you've got to put all these things in place. Jesus pulls Philip aside and he says to Philip, Hey Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And then very expressly it says in that text that Jesus knew what he was going to do in this situation, but he wanted to test Philip. See, what is Jesus doing? He's training. I'm showing 
testing, showing testing. Well, here's Philip's little test. Hey, Philip, you see this big crowd? About 10,000? Philip, where are we going to find bread for these people? And I love Philip's answer. He says in John chapter 6, even if we spend 200 denarii, Jesus, and that's a large sum they wouldn't have had on them, it was a massive sum, 10,000 people to feed. Just think about it, those of you who've tasted before. Even if we spend 10,000 denarii to buy only just bread, Jesus, the most common food, never mind anything else, and it won't be a meal in itself, Jesus, we wouldn't be able to do this. In other words, it's impossible, Lord, to cut a long story short. It's impossible, Lord. I don't know. And then here come the pragmatic apostles. Do you see them? All 11 of them. Lord, can you send these people away, please? We can't handle this. We need time out to fend for ourselves now. Lord, it's getting dark. We haven't even got a place to stay tonight. We've got to go and find a place for us all. We've got to find food, Lord. Send them away. We need a break. And then I love verse 13 and 14. Because sometimes the Lord hits us with little things like this, which are big things. The Lord says to them, okay, you feed them. Now if it was me, I would have just fallen down there. That's it, I'm out of here. But I love this, you see, the Gospels take us to another camera. If you go and have a look at the passage, John chapter 6 again, and I love the book of John. He's so personal because he puts these personal touches in. John chapter 6, verse 8 to 9. It tells us here that Andrew, one of the sons of thunder, right? Remember him? Right? Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, he had found a lad with five loaves and two fish. And whether he'd asked him to give those things uh, voluntarily or not, um, that's the sum total of food that was in this big crowd. And so, there's not much help from that direction. And so these apostles say to the Lord, but Lord, we've got no more than five loaves and two fish. Us feed them. Get real, Jesus. Have you ever faced situations like that? Lord, you want me to speak to who? My boss? My wife? Lord, you want me to trust me with my whole life? Everything you mean? My future too? Jesus, you want me to go where to serve you? Mongolia? I don't even know where that is, Lord. This is impossible. Lord, you want me to do? You fill in the blanks. Have you hit situations like that? You see, Jesus wanted them to acknowledge the impossibility of provision through their means. He wanted them to realize that humanly this was impossible. You cannot do it. And I think they were getting the point now. You feed them. And I love this. He's the God of the impossible. Verses 14 to 17. Look at it. You see, these disciples were focused on this large hungry crowd. And they were focused on the impossible task before them. And they'd forgotten who they were with. Who was with them? 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the all-powerful one, the Creator God, He was with them. But they'd forgotten this was just Jesus. They were focused on the crowds. They were focused on the problems. This was Jesus, the one who could take control of the natural elements that experienced it not too long ago in their boat, remember? Everything became calm at Jesus' word. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd already forgotten. But Jesus is teaching them. Jesus is patient with these apostles of his. You know, I would have been in their camp too. I just need to say that. As a human. But I love the way Jesus looks at the situation. And look at God taking charge. He's a God of order. But there's reason for that order. When you read, he, made, he said to the disciples, right, go and tell them to sit in groups of 50. It wasn't just because Jesus loved numbers or order. He loves order. But for a specific purpose. Why? To show his glory. And so what does he do? He tells the disciples, not the crowd. He doesn't say to the crowd, hey, you guys, just sit in groups of 50. No. He tells his disciples, because it was a large crowd, you go and order this crowd into groups of 50. What was the reason for that? Because when he provided, he wanted the apostles to kind of know that there were lots of groups of 50 sitting around so that they could see the provision of God. There was order in this, but there was method in it as well. And so he, have, he has them sit down in groups of 50. And the, the apostles are to put these people into that order. And then Jesus, and here's an important point, and take note of this. Jesus starts with what they have. He says, give me what you have. And he takes the five loaves and two fish. And I'm coming back to that point. And then you see the Father and the Son at work. Now, who is this? This is Jesus, the Creator God, the one who was there back in Genesis, the one who spoke, and He created things. This is the same Jesus Christ. And so what does He do here? We see Father and Son again at work, creatively. He prays, He shows His dependence on the Father, and then what does He do? He starts distributing the first loaf. And he starts distributing the second loaf. And I can just imagine these apostles. Their eyes would get progressively larger. Because he's getting to the fourth one. And then what's he going to do after the fifth one? And so he starts distributing. And he says to them, take this to the people. Now, however they did, they must have had baskets. Take this to the people. And they take out to the people. And he just kept on distributing. Now, how that happened... We weren't there. We can't say what it looked like, but we know it happened. So he just carried on breaking that last loaf. He just carried on. And those two fish, he just carried on breaking and giving to these disciples. And after a while, they must have been walking around like this, checking what was happening. Is this happening? He just carried on. You see, what was he doing? The Son of God was creating. Right there in front of them. Wow. I get goose flesh thinking about it. He was creating right in front of him. The creator God at work. And he carries on distributing to these people. And it's the apostles taking the food out. They could see how many people this had covered. And the amazing thing is here, it says, they all ate, all 10,000 plus people. They ate 
And, look at those words, they were all satisfied. Five loaves of fish. And that's not all. There was still some left over. Wow. God never does a half job when he creates, does he? He provides. He never does a half job either. And then, now take note of this. Nothing is there for nothing. They gather up 12 baskets. Now I'm not going into that. That's a whole sermon. Because there's a lot of symbolism tied up there. The number 12 is completeness. The number 12 there is representing too that God would provide for all His people, all 12 tribes. And for us, leftovers were gathered. Nothing wasted. Now, Luke finishes his account there, but the account doesn't actually finish. You need to read the other Gospels. You see, Mark chapter 6 says that this account finishes. Jesus, once this miracle had happened and everyone had finished eating, Jesus then dismisses the crowd. Now, some of them go, some of them don't go. Some of them hang around, as they always do. They never listen. But he dismisses the majority. They go off, because now it's been night time. And he sends his disciples before him to Bethsaida. So he says, get in the boat and go around to Bethsaida and I will meet you there. And then Jesus immediately re-energizes himself. If you go and look at Mark chapter 6, and he goes off alone and prays. And then, says Mark, he appears to his disciples who are in the boat again, second time. And this time they think he's a ghost. And then he gets in And he calms the wind again. And what I want to get to is this. They still could not understand, says Mark, about the loaves. Do you see the connection? They'd seen all this happening, but they still couldn't make the connection. Here's Jesus walking on the water. They should have said, so what? He's the Son of God. He can do what He likes. But they still didn't make the connection with what had happened when He broke that bread and the fish. They still didn't make the connection with who Jesus was. That he was the Son of God. God himself. And the crowds don't make the connection either because we are told in the book of Mark once again that the crowds, when this had happened, and immediately after they'd seen all this food distributed, they wanted to immediately seize Jesus and make him king by force. Why? Not because they wanted him as Messiah, but so that he could supply their needs every day. They wanted food. You see, they didn't get it either. Tell me, do you get it? Do you know who Jesus is? As you're living your everyday life, do you know who Jesus is? Notwithstanding whatever situation you might find yourself in, is he still the same, powerful, all great creator God to you in that situation? The one who said, Mark chapter 6, Verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Do you know who Jesus is in your life, in your situation? Is God the God of your impossible? And I want to make five points of application here before we go to the table this morning. Is God the God of your impossible? Whatever that might be. Firstly, 
Is your life divided into spiritual and physical? Or have you joined the dots in your life? Is your spiritual life and the truths you know about God's Word and the truth about God, is it real in your life? Or do you have a physical and a spiritual life? It's very important today because many people have that separation in their lives. They think Sundays is spiritual day. The rest of the day, the rest of the week, that's physical. And the two never kind of meet. You see, Jesus teaches that these two meet. And that we are to trust God for His truth. We are to trust God for His promises. And we are to trust Him so much that we're willing to step out into whatever situation we're in, holding on to Jesus because He's holding us. He's all around us. Is Jesus, Jesus Christ in your situation? Or have you got physical and spiritual? Now, this is where I want you to turn to Psalm 37. And I want you to see these promises that God gives us. Psalm 37. Just a few verses we're going to look at. Verses 23 and 24. Look what it says. Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. Now, think of your situation. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. In other words, who is in control? God is. And he, that is God, delights in his, small h, that's your way. If your steps are in the Lord. When he, that's small h, when you, Paul, you will not be hurtled headlong. Because the Lord is the one who holds his or your hand. So yes, you will fall. But why can you get up? Because of who Jesus is. Not because of your strength. Who Jesus is. Isn't that a fantastic promise? Let's look at verses 25 to 26. This is the ancient speaking, David, or whoever wrote this. I haven't quite looked at that now. I have been young and now I am old. In other words, I am a wise man. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Here's the truth. All his descendants begging bread. So you think your situation is dire? Who is in your situation? Jesus Christ. Will he provide for your everyday needs? Yes. Will you see his provision? Yes, you will. Will you be able to see it ahead of time? No, not necessarily. But Jesus is still with you. All day long, he is gracious and lends, And his descendants are a blessing. What a fabulous two verses. Look at verses 27 and 28. Depart from evil and do good. Why? So you will abide forever. Why? For the Lord loves justice. And he does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. So if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't die forever. You will live forever. And even if you should die in your circumstances, and that's what God wants, He will be there when you wake up from death. And He will preserve you forever. Fantastic verses. Last two. Verses 39 to 40. But the salvation of the righteous is where? 
from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Because why? They take refuge in Him. So, are you in the Lord? Then your strength is in Him, not yours. That's the living Jesus with you. Corriton Boom put it this way. I love Corriton Boom. I call her my, the pop, my famous old person. Alright? Corriton Boom. She said this. Listen to her. Let God's promises shine on your problems. These promises, let them shine into your situation. And your situations will diminish in the light of God's promises and the light of the reality of what God will do in your situation. What a great quote. Secondly, what are you focused on when that trouble hits you? What are you focused on when you have trouble trusting God for your practical needs? Yes? What do we have, what do we have trouble doing when we look at the needs around us? And we look at those accounts that need to be paid and we get worried. Who are we focused on? Ourselves, our own abilities. What are we focused on? The the problem. Who should we be focused on? The one who is with us and in us and around us, Jesus Christ. And he says to you, give me what you've got in your hands. What have you got in your hands? I've got all these bills, Lord. Give me what you've got in your hands. Trust me. What have you got in your hands? This body of mine that's breaking down, Lord. Give what you've got in your hands to the Lord. Let Him work His way in you and through you. Thirdly, how does your response during times of crisis give God glory, and I'll add this, or not? How do you respond during times of crisis? When the world looks around you, when your friends look around you, when your colleagues look around you, when your unbelieving family members and your children look at you in times of trouble, does your response give glory to God or does it show that there isn't a God? As a Christian, are you giving God glory through what He puts you through? Our verse said in Psalm 37, the Lord establishes your steps. Does He not know what you're going through? And so if He does, let's give Him the glory for being in control. And then the world will see and know that God is alive because they'll see Him in and through us as He shines out. Fourthly, if you're a Christian here today, are you obedient to God's command? What command do you say? Well, we looked at Matthew 28, last last week, didn't we? Go out into all the world. Make disciples. What does Jesus do here? He still says to you and I, give the world something to eat. Feed the starving people. What? Feed them the message of the gospel of salvation. They need to know about me. They need to know that there is hope in impossible situations. But the problem is, are you and I obedient? Are we too scared of the world? Are you obedient? Have you told someone about Jesus Christ this past week? And then lastly, and I want to plead with you here, if you're an unbeliever here today, if you're still 
do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to ask you this question. Why do you need this very same Jesus Christ as your provider today? Why do you need Him? John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18 is the answer. John chapter 3, we should all be able to say this off by heart if you're a believer here today. But if you're an unbeliever here, listen to God's truth coming out to you and be saved. This is what He says to you. For God so loved the world, you in other words, that He gave His only begotten Son. Who is that? Jesus Christ. This one we've just been listening about. Why? So that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. It doesn't mean you will not die. It means you will not die eternally. But have eternal life. There's the hope, you see. Look at verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. That's going to happen anyway. But that the world might be saved through Him. We have a God of grace. And yes, there's going to be judgment if you turn your back on this, um, on this invitation to you this morning. There will be judgment on you if you do not know the Lord before He comes. But we serve a God of grace. He wants you to be saved through His Son. Verse 18, He who believes in Him is not judged. But he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And verse 19, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. Jesus came historically. And he's still here with us, even though he's seated in heaven. He came into this world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, I plead with you this morning. You cannot carry the weight of the judgment of your sin that you have in your life on your own. You can't do it. It's impossible. You cannot pay for that sin that is in your own life. You cannot pay for it. That is also impossible. You see, you're in an impossible situation. And that is why you need the Lord Jesus Christ. You need Him because He can take that sin which is too big for you, He can take it away from you. But you need to come before Him and you need to ask Him to take it. It's not automatic. Not all men and women will be saved. But all those who come and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, they will be saved. You need to entrust your life to Him. Because what Jesus will do is, where you've got just darkness in your life, He will once again, as the Creator God, He will create new life in you. The moment you give Him your life, He gives you new life, eternal life, for eternity. And He gives it to you immediately. Would you come to Jesus Christ? Or will you turn your back? You might say this morning, well, my situation is too hopeless for Jesus. You don't know what I've got up to in my life. I can't come to Him. You can He's more almighty than anything you could have done. You might say, my sin is too big for Him. No, there's no sin too big for Jesus Christ. Come, plead before Him, and He will take that big sin of yours away. You will never see it again, 
and He will separate it from you as far as the east is from the west, and He will give you life and forgiveness in return. With Him, you see, nothing is impossible, not even your situation. And so I plead with you this morning, come to Jesus Christ. Come to this almighty Jesus Christ and be saved. Don't turn away another day and think you'll make it on your own. You won't. I close with a statement. J.C. Ryle, he said this, With Jesus Christ, nothing is impossible. He can create light out of darkness. He can create order out of disorder. He can create strength out of weakness. He can create joy out of sorrow. And He can create food out of nothing at all. Forever let us bless God that it is so. Our great Lord Jesus. Let's praise Him. Yes, Lord Jesus, we look forward to that day when we will stand with You and we will be bowing before You and we will be singing praises and we'll be singing songs we've never heard before but they'll be in our hearts. But Lord, we know on that day we will know that we are saved because we will be standing before You. Lord, thank You for Your provision and thank You for that new life that You can and that You have created in us. We give you praise. Lord, thank you for this account this morning where we see you creating something. And what a something that was out of nothing. You still haven't changed in Jesus. We give you praise. And Lord, as we get around the table and we remember your provision for you and for us on that cross where you made a way back to God for us and for that sin which covers each one of us. Lord, thank you. And may we see it as a time of remembrance, but also as a time of recommitment of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us in this week because we might have impossible situations. We might not even know about it yet. But Lord, when we come up against those situations, may we remember who you are and that you're not just a God who is in the Bible but that you are a Lord, a Creator God, who is with us, in us, all around us. And we can find our refuge in you. You will establish our step through that situation. Lord, may you be praised, our great God.